The Music in Us is a free-flowing conversation about lyrics, music, and those who make it. Join Jay, the Grumpy Gagan, Scott, the pastor with a heart of rock and roll, Chip, the sarcastic boomer, and AJ, the millennial nihilist, for bi-weekly conversations. We don't always agree, but we always bring the respect. Thanks for listening. And we're rolling. And we're rolling. Rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> rolling down the river. Welcome back to another episode of The, the Music, Music in, in Us. And I'm Scott, the pastor with a heart of rock and roll. I'm uh, Chipotle, the sarcastic <laughs> boomer. <laughs> Chipotle. <laughs> Still loving it. I am AJ, the nihilist, also known as a millennial. <laughs> and we're continuing our conversation about social justice and, and also aware that it's Black History Month. So celebrating uh, black music and black artists uh, tonight, we're talking about the godfather of rap. Who is the godfather of rap, you might ask? Gil Scott Heron. Yeah, definitely. Gil Scott Heron. Hmm. Now, I was familiar with the track that I chose here, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, because I'd heard it played in a documentary. Interesting. Um, you know, or or, or a, I, I might have even been in the film uh, Judas and the Black Messiah that was out last year. Hmm. But, but that song came out in 1971. Yep. And I happened to uh, see a Google article on 50 albums from 50 years ago that you really need to listen to. And this uh, album, or this song, was featured on an album called Pieces of Man that Gil Scott Heron put out in 1971. Huh. And uh, let me just double check and make sure that's right. View the album. Yep, Pieces of Man. There's actually Save the Children is also an excellent song on there. Oh, yeah. Um, but um, let me just read a little bit about Gil Scott Heron from Wikipedia because he's an interesting cat uh, <laughs> to, you know, use the... He's an interesting cat. Use the, the 70s, 70s language. <laughs> Let's see here. Where's he at? <laughs> so Gil Scott Heron, his mother was an opera singer. And his father was a Jamaican soccer player and was the first black um, soccer player for a Scottish team. Nice. So, uh, let's see here. Early years. He was born in Chicago. His mother's Bobby Scott was an opera singer who performed with the Horatio Society of New York, and his father, Gil Heron, nicknamed the Black Arrow, was a Jamaican footballer who in the 50s became the first black man to play for the Celtic Football Club in Glasgow, Scotland. Oh, cool. In Glasgow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then Gil was a talented writer. That was, his teachers saw that pretty soon, and he went off, you know, to uh, college uh, and, but he got caught up in the black power movement. He heard a group called the last poets and they were part of the black arts movement, which was associated with the black power movement. And they really impacted him. So he went up after their show and said, 
you know, how can I start a group like you guys? So he went back to, he wrote a book called, uh, what was it called? Hmm. Um, the Vulture was the name of the book. I never would have come up with that one. The Vulture and the Nigger Factory is the name of the book. Mm. And uh, it was published in 1970. And so he took some time off from school to do that. But then he ended up going to New York and starting, you know, a band. Starting, you know, doing recordings and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> but he also, uh, because he was recognized as a poet, and this album, like, really launched him forward in the public eye. Uh, you know, he went on to get a master's degree in creative writing and then taught at uh, the University of District Columbia in Washington, D.C. Mm, nice. As well as continued with his recording career and music career. Busy man. Yeah. So he is considered, as far as the legacy is concerned, he is considered to be a major impact on hip hop and what Neo soul or new soul he's called the black Bob Dylan, the godfather of rap. Uh, And lots of people have sampled his stuff. So like modern contemporary hip hop artists have sampled a lot of Gil Scott Heron's uh, material. And, you know, he's like spoken poetry with music, you know, blending soul and jazz and blues together uh, and to express his uh, poetry. And his poetry is motivated about, you know, talking about politics, talking about social justice for blacks in America. So and that's how rap, that's how uh, rap eventually came about. Right. And he even criticized today's hip hop artists. He said, number one, they need to learn music. <laughs> and number yeah. two, they need to stop, you know, just, talking the status quo and start talking about things that matter. Yeah. You know, instead of talking about, you know, coochie and, you know, all these other things that they're talking about partying and, you know, posturing as a tough guy. Yeah. Uh, he'd be, he'd be rolling over if he'd hear, uh, the crap that is played on the radio now. Yep. So anyway, just an interesting guy. He he also uh, he died in 2011, uh, but he had a had started an autobiography. So that got published posthumously in 2012. So if you're interested in learning more about Gil Scott Heron, I would recommend that you pick up that autobiography. Autobiography. He also put out a song called Johannesburg that was speaking against apartheid back in the seventies. Oh, cool! Mm-hmm. Yeah, late seventies, and he was remember uh, artists against apartheid in the eighties. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was involved in that. Cool. So you know, he was a uh, definitely a, a leader in social activism, social justice, and he used art, you know, to be able to impact. Uh, culture and ways that are positive shaping, you know, black like, identity, black pride, mm-hmm. um, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but as you listen to the revolution will not be televised, I mean, the first thing I think, you know, of course, when I'm hearing that bass beat and the flute and all that, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, it sounds like 
a porn soundtrack because <laughs> it has that early 70s, late 60s, early oh, 70s, right, yeah. you know, kind of sound to it. But More like you know, Black Dynamite or, uh, or Shaft yeah. uh, theme, theme song going on. Right. But it's definitely hip. I mean, it's got a hip feel to it. You know what I mean? As you listen to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then you know, it's got a good groove. And, and then, you know, he's saying something. What what were your what was your take on the lyrics? Oh, I loved them um, because I think uh, the comedy aspect that he was taking with it, you know, like uh, like you, the revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not go better with coke, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's all a play on the commercials, right? Mm-hmm, right, and it's definitely. Uh, I feel like it was definitely like a comedy aspect to it but that's what would grab the audience you know uh they hear it and they hear the ridiculousness of that statement you know the revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal mm-hmm. etc cetera, etc cetera. and it sticks with you mm-hmm. right the revolution uh is not a commercial the revolution is not going to be televised the revolution is something that is going to happen mm-hmm. you know uh Unfortunately, but it won't be covered on television. <laughs> the revolution, yeah. And what what point is he making there? I think uh, I think he's meaning don't do it for posterity. You know, you got to do it because it needs to happen. Or maybe don't believe what you see. What's what you're, what's being broadcast? Go out and make it real. Or maybe live it. Maybe those who control television and mass media have got a white privilege agenda. Oh, that's, yeah. And, definitely. And they're, not, and they're not going to cover things about black Americans and black history and black happenings. And from the 60s, from, from all the way up to the 80s, I would say, yeah, that's definitely true. Because, like, you know, what was the go-to villain or or go-to, uh, go-to uh, mooks for the, mm-hmm. for the supervillain? The black people, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Do you remember uh, uh, just a couple years ago, there was uh, a Mr. Rogers film? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, starring uh, Tom Hanks. Yeah. Well, you know, he the whole thing job. around uh, Fred Rogers, he did Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood because he felt that television was being wasted. Mm-hmm. That it was an incredible tool for education, and yet it was mindless garbage. Yeah. And I think that's some of what Gil Scott Heron is saying in, in his uh, recording here, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, is, you know, what w- w- all the dumb messages from commercials. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's not going to be better with Charmin or whatever, right? So, <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, because you're constantly being marketed to in all these commercials to get us to buy like good little consumers. And we're also presented a white world. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Geared towards white. The white. And the, sure. and what it, and yet the lives of black Americans is struggle and oppression and poverty. And uh, how is the platform of television helping them? Doesn't. Right. Because they can't make money off of it. Right. Plus, I think it's not helping us either because it's keeping us dumb. 
Right. The idiocracy. <laughs> well, our, well our own, nowadays our own education system is keeping us dumb, too. Dumb, happy, and buying stuff that they, they want us to buy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good little consumers. Our government wants us to just stay as complacent, good little consumers. So what is the revolution that's not going to be televised? Oh, the black the the, the black power revolution, mm-hmm. an upheaval of uh, of this white ran uh, country to put us on equal footing with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the revolution that he was calling for, and what unfortunately still needs to happen. Yeah, and bear in mind this song was produced. Not what well, was uh, Malcolm X was killed in sixty eight. Was he assassinated in 68? I'm not sure. Well, you know. It was late 60s, early 70s. Like four years, three, four years after Malcolm X. Yeah. And the Black Power Movement, you know, was rooted at some level with uh, the Nation of Islam out of Chicago. Mm -hmm. The Elijah Muhammad's movement, of which Malcolm X became a major charismatic figure. Mm Mm-hmm. 1965. 65 is when he was February shot? February 21st, 1965. Okay. So this is six years after he was shot. Yeah. That's when he put this album out. Hmm. And I just watched, oh, hey, by the way, for our listening audience, I want to recommend for you a documentary that you can watch on Disney+. Plus. It's called The Summer of Soul, and it's about the 1969 Harlem Arts Festival that took place in one of their parks uh, in downtown Harlem in the summer of 1969. Uh, some have called it the Black Woodstock, uh, but an excellent documentary. Got a lot of great music, great artists, uh, but covering the importance of that event and how, uh, you know, the Black Power Movement, Black Pride Movement, those sorts of things were happening and coming to sort of a, a major turning point in 1969. Speaking of keeping us as happy little consumers. <laughs> oh, Disney Plus? Yeah. Yeah, Disney owns like 60% of the well, I mean, share. Well, well, I mean, you literally just took a break from the uh from the from the podcast to like basically put out an ad i'm sorry (laughs) you know but what's interesting talking about racism again (laughs) that film was you know shot on from over multiple days of this music festival and then it set in a basement for 50 years before it ever saw the light of day because the filmmakers couldn't get anyone interested in actually producing the film or uh distributing it yeah and then they just gave up and it was forgotten yeah and woodstock gets all the attention but that same summer you had this major happening in in harlem yep yep and you know because woodstock was white yeah mostly well, yeah i was gonna say not entirely but yeah not entirely the first the first artist to play was richie havens yeah freedom yeah, almost. I thought about that song when we were talking about what song we were gonna pick for that. Yeah, yeah. But if you were to like go back and watch the footage, look at the crowd. Mm-hmm. A lot of pasty white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I digress. Whereas the experience in Harlem was a sea of black people, mm-hmm. and how exciting it was for them all to come together. And but it wasn't just blacks. There were whites there as well, and Latinos. You know, because you had. Well, it's the same. You had Puerto Puerto Rican Harlem or Spanish Harlem, right? 
And, and, you know, some of them were there and they had, um, you know, Latin artists on stage. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. But, you know, the same, the same is said for Woodstock. It's just that it was white dominated versus the music, the Harlem Music Festival of 69 was black dominated, mm-hmm. you know, but there was a mixture of both and it's just the message and the feel are different because of the culture and the people that were there. Yeah. And the purpose of, you know, like the arts festival was specifically about celebrating blackness, celebrating black art, yep. black music. Yep. And, you know, the community of Harlem itself, which was considered to be a great place to be if you were black, because it was a predominantly black burg of the greater New York City area, and people felt safe there. Mm-hmm. You know, they may not have had a lot, but they had each other, and they mm-hmm. had each other's backs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, so that that's what was going on, and, and you know, there were... Like in in Harlem, there was uh, Bar- the Bart's School, a Black Arts uh, Repertory Theater School, and school was started there. It didn't last long, but that start was started there uh, in Harlem. And so there were a lot of things that came out of the Black Arts Movement. Maya Angelou, who uh, is like a United States poet laureate, right? She spoke at what was it, Bill Clinton's inaugur- inaugural? Right, she was chosen to read poetry at his inaugural. <laughs> but Maya Angelou was part of that Black Did Arts movement. Well. <laughs> Came out of that, and of course, Gil Scott Heron. Yeah, yeah. And the part, you know, when we say Black Arts movement, the 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 idea behind it is to celebrate blackness, right, and to have pride in one's culture. Yeah, and not to try to necessarily fit into the white culture, right? Or to have As white culture tell you how to express yourself, right? But to be unique and purely black, mm-hmm. and happily black, and as as a distinction set apart from, yeah, you know, a, a Eurocentric way of thinking and doing things. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, Tracy Chapman had a song when she first came out. She had that album with, that had the big hit Fast Car on it. Yeah. But she had another song on there called Revolution. Don't you know? Talking about a revolution, sometimes it sounds like a whisper. Remember that? Mm-mm. That's on that album. So, yeah. Uh, you know, When I hear the word revolution, you know, I think of violence. Right. But I don't believe that's what Gil Scott Heron is necessarily promoting. Right. What he's promoting is black pride and uh, embracing blackness and celebrating blackness. Yeah, a time when they don't have to feel a, a second class. Yeah. Do you remember? Uh, or worse. Oh, gosh. Come on. Hardest working man in the show business. Oh, uh, James Brown. James Brown. Yeah. James Brown had a song that came out of the black power movement. I'm black and I'm proud. Yeah. Oh, sure. You know, and the songs like that were really impactful and important for kids, you know, who were growing up black in white America and being, being given messages, you know, that are encouraging them. 
But that social movement isn't going to get press. And that that's the whole idea behind this song, I think. It's oh, not right. going to get press. It's happening. You better be a part of it. You know, black power, black pride. It, you know, it's happening. It's moving. Get active. Get involved. And no, it's not going to be on television. <laughs> you know, they're not going to talk about it like they talk about... Uh, Ozzy and Harriet and some of the what were some oh Green Acres yeah Green Acres and <laughs> Petticoat Junction yeah. or whatever all those I even mentioned Bullwinkle in there too yeah I yeah funny. Bullwinkle and got Julia it. <laughs> yeah. there's there were some people that I didn't recognize yeah I didn't recognize you know, all so of them some of the lyrics is dated enough that I didn't I didn't know who everybody was talking about yeah because I mean in 1971 I was. Nine, yeah, eight, eight, nine years old. So, yeah, I saw. Well, I that was re he released that song in f early of '71, right? Yeah. So it's like he could have written it in the late '60s too, before it before it saw the light of day. Yeah, that's possible. So super super dated. <laughs> I love. He goes. Uh, what is it? There's something in here he, he uses white several times. I thought it was A great. white tornado was one of them. Yeah, which was some kind of cleaning detergent, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I remember those commercials. I remember the commercial. I can't remember what it was for, but I remember the white tornado. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a bunch of uh, products that have white in the name. He uses all at once uh, in the lyrics, but he's really talking about uh, about the, the white oppression. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. This is exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, the revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. <laughs> oh, he even, he said white people? Yeah, and yeah. white people. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You will You're not right. have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, a tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. <laughs> Mr. Clean, I suppose. Or was it Tidy Man? Or maybe a Green Giant, I don't know. <laughs> but these are all commercials at the time, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Commercial television. Will not go better with Coke or fight germs that may cause bad breath. I love this. Uh, Green Acres, Bill, Beverly Hillbillies, Hooterville Junction will no longer, longer be so damn relevant. <laughs> and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane. On the search for tomorrow. <laughs> On the search for tomorrow. <laughs> because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution is going to put you in the driver's seat. Right. And I would say, you know, after the riots that happened in 2020... After the joy, uh, George Floyd uh, murder, murder up in uh, Minnesota, Min Minnesota, yeah, Minnesota, that uh, Black Lives Matter movement, you know, it, it seems that this culture, press, and so on and so forth, is certainly putting Black matters and Black interests. In the driver's seat. You see it in the newspaper. 
you know, of course, the Indianapolis Star is now controlled by uh, USA Today. Yeah. So it's all part of the same national right news organization. And so you see it in the newspaper, you know, you see before those riots, there weren't blacks on the front page very often. You know, and they weren't talking about black small business owners and, you know, things like that. These 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 changes have happened as a result of the social upheaval and the response of society after the George Floyd murder. Yeah, right. but how long is it going to last? I don't know. Cuz the question, you know, like there were there were riots. There's well, been- and there's there's the backlash of too, you know, like like we talked in the oh, previous yeah. episode about uh the proud critical boys. race theory and yeah. the fight going on in the public school systems right mm-hmm. now. I think it's interesting. I'm looking at the uh about the theme song will not be written by Jim Webb, which I I, I guess I'm not familiar with. Okay, him. Jimmy Webb was Glenn Campbell's songwriter. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Or so, Francis you know, Scott I Keys. am the lineman for the county. Right. Very, very That's a white. Jimmy Webb song. Nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or The Rare Earth. I thought that was interesting that The Rare Earth got got mentioned there. And I, I'm, I'm looking at them. These are all white artists, right? I don't know anything about Rare Earth, so I couldn't say. I think they sure. were a white act that was signed sure. to Motown. Yeah. Rare Earth signed to Motown? Yeah. Okay. So that's made him stick out. Maybe that's why he said that, because he thought they didn't belong there. I don't I don't know. I don't. I can't speak for what he's trying to say there, but it is interesting that they got I think he that. was just looking for, you know, things to fill the bar, really. But I mean, you know, maybe maybe he uh maybe he felt it was pandering for uh for rare earth to be signed with Motown. I don't know. They were from Detroit. And it was a mixed race band. Okay. Looking at this picture. Not completely white. So I see a lot of white faces. Mostly white group. You know, Sly and the Family Stone was up on uh, the stage for this uh, Harlem Festival of Arts oh, yeah. in 1969, and his band was multicultural, you know. So there were white dudes up on stage Good jamming stuff. with, you know, with uh, the rest of the artists on stage. So, you know, and he had he had a lot of socially conscious music, Sly did. Yeah. yeah. So everyday people. Right. Which, to this day, uh, Joan Jett still does that song. Oh, really? Different strokes for, for different, different folks. folks. We got to get together. I am every. I am no better than either of you. We are the same whatever we do. Yeah. You now, can't tell me about the... Uh, yeah. You know, it's interesting, the, you know, the... The arts festival in Harlem was about black pride and and black art, uh, black power. Uh, the Woodstock festival was about peace and love, you know. And there were there peace was crossover and, there, right? You know, interesting thing within will... the, the hippie movement, there was support for Black Panthers sure. and, and Black Power movement. I looked this up. It was opened by Richie Havens and it was closed by Jimi Hendrix. There you go. So that's kind of interesting. Not you know, not to say that it was all, but I just thought that was 
kind of interesting they opened. Well, like I, like I said, like yes, there's mixing. Oh, and they're trying to argue. But I just thought it was interesting. But, but you know, one was white dominated, one was black dominated. Mm-hmm. You know, and like Sly and the Family Stone is definitely not a name to turn your nose up the nose up at that. And they were uh, at Woodstock as well. Mm-hmm. They were. Yeah, they're a very well known band, and they went to uh went to Harlem. Did Hendrix go to the Harlem? No, I don't festival? think so. I don't hmm. think so. No, at least not what I saw, and and I he, they probably would have had. But BB King was there. Ah, uh, mm. good. And BB King did a song called "Why I Sing the Blues," and it the lyrics talk about the experience of the black man. You know of. You know, I came over, they put me on a ship and a man was standing over me with a whip, mm-hmm. you know, so it's a reference to slavery. For sure. And he's he kind of just going through the struggle of blacks in America. Uh, From and, the beginning to yeah, that Oppression, yeah. marginalization, Jim Crow laws, uh, racism, systemic racism, and fighting against that. And that's why I sing the blues. You know. He's quite an interesting guy. B.B. King? Yeah. Well, yeah, he was. If you ever get a chance, there's uh, some Martin Scorsese uh, documentary films on blues. And he's, mm-hmm. there's some really neat stuff that, where he's in there and interview him and he talks about his experiences. Mm-hmm. Well, one of his most famous albums is Live at the Apollo, which is in Harlem. Sure. Yeah. And he was a Memphis guy. Yeah. And Sam uh, Sam Phillips recorded him at Sun Studios. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right along with Wouldn't surprise me. Elvis and Johnny Cash and Carl Perkins and Jerry Lee Lewis, all those white Southern boys that were right, doing black. Right, they kind of incorporated. Black music, yeah. Yep. The, and the, believe it or so, not, you know, I, listened to, I listened to a podcast called... Um, a history of rock and roll in 500 songs. And uh, the podcaster is British. His name escapes me right now. I haven't listened to it in a while. But, you know, he talked about how Sam Phillips actually had an egalitarian agenda. Yes, absolutely. And and thought by having white artists record black music, it would do something to heal the rift between blacks and whites in America. No, nah, it just made it worse. <laughs> you, know, you could argue that that's entirely. true. Certainly, uh, black artists were robbed by white well, record true. labels and white producers and white mm-hmm. managers, and you know they benefited and profited off of their art, and then they took it and you know made white versions of it, you know, with white artists. It probably became more commercially successful yeah. because it's yeah. The majority white crowd. Bought yes, it. right. So there's a okay. there's a long history Pat there Boone. too. <laughs> but now it's it you know, I think black music is mainstream. Yeah, yeah definitely mainstream so. rap and hip hop are definitely the mainstream. So black art has, and the black art movement really has come to the fore and it's taken center stage. Right. And it's been that way for twenty years. Uh, 15. 15 years? Sure. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, like that one time where you were talking, uh, 
I think you were leave you you told me this story. You were like leaving a concert and saying that there hasn't been a good rock and roll movement. That's right. Since the nineties and some stranger yep. said, I don't know, man, the early two thousands alternative yep. and uh, emo movement yep. certainly had a lot to say. And I would and uh I would tend to agree. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think around uh, I mean, honestly I think it was around uh, Obama's uh administration beginning is uh is when it started to take a turn for uh for black forwardness because i mean you know it happened we got our black president finally right and you know uh, i didn't put that and the music changing taking that going more mainstream and that being the top 40 with uh yeah i just never put those together Cause I mean, you know, I mean, maybe you remember uh, Amanda was into Usher. I don't remember Amanda being into. Usher. She was into Usher there for a while, you know. <laughs> you know that was back in the early two thousands. Hmm. So, you know, whatever. Usher <laughs> yeah. sampled Gil Scott Heron in his music. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think we've talked this subject to death because we're definitely uh, going around. Yes, and I'm getting tired. Yeah, I understand. It's it's been interesting. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're just white guys and can't, uh, you know. (laughs) That's true. I mean, it is weird. Give much of a detailed opinion on black music. Well, but let me just say, I, you know, this album, Pieces of Man, it's a great piece of work. It's not just, you know, this song is the one that gets all the attention. Of course. The Revolution will not be televised because it's just so darn clever. It's, it's the single. But, you know, I love Save Save the Children or Save Our Children. And Save the Ch- that, that song is a great song, you know. So I really want to recommend to you that you take time to listen to the 1971 Gil Scott Heron Pieces of Man album. Mm-hmm. And, and really, you, you can dig into all these other stuff, too. Cause, but the guy was quite a quite an accomplished person. So, the Godfather of Rap. There we Gil go, Scott Heron. I d- I did not know that till tonight. So I I, I done learned something. You learned me something. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, there's several people you could say are a Godfather of Rap, but he's definitely one that sticks out. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been another episode of the yeah, music in, in us. us. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye. It's cathartic. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Music in Us. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Also, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us when you can, any way that you can. Email us at themusicinuspodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at themusicinuspod. Facebook at themusicinuspodcast or on our website, themusicinus.com. We'll see you next week with another great gab fest about the universal language of music. <laughs>